up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 163. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not much. I'm just, um, just eating a magic card. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah, I'm, I'm eating a magic card. Uh, it's a long story. I'll tell you in a bit. All right. Well, on to our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, do check that out. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. Come say hi and uh, discuss your picks, trophy decks, things like that with the rest of the Traficionado community. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. I guess we need to start saying X page now, don't we? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Don't even get me started. This guy has tried to turn. I, I'm getting, you know, I don't even want to. You see, they have to take the sign down. They put the sign up and <laughs> yep, then they had to yeah. take it down immediately. So funny. Yeah. What can anyway, you do? <laughs> if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge, huge thanks to each and every one of our patrons over there who continue to support us each and every week. We really appreciate you all. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, and our Draft Chaff hero cards signed by us and sent to you. And one of the perks, which for some reason never made it onto this list that I read out every week, is that you also get a shout out on the show. And so this week we're shouting out Spurlo. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon. We missed you last week because we pre-recorded last week's episode because Ben was traveling, but we got you this week. So thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Glad Spurlo, to have you on board. you're the best. A true chaff master. All right. On to our cracker draft type thing. What do you have for us this week, Ben? I've actually got a commander masters pack. Now I was hoping to have a paper one. Uh, I would have, but our local game store actually uh, a shipment didn't make it in time. So I, I got to use a digital one, but maybe I'll save one of the ones when I pick it up and we'll do a, a paper pack next week. Uh, if people are interested. So uh, there's a lot of cards in a commander masters pack. There's 20 of them. So we're going to, we're going to skim through some of the less interesting ones. Uh, some of the junky artifacts like campfire and like taps to gain life or puts your commander from the command zone into your hands. Not really a playable card. There's also a prismatic piper, the, uh, the backup commander, which you really don't actually have to draft. Uh, you can just be given two of these after the draft. If you forgot to draft any legends to be your commanders. Now here's some, some action. There's a counter spell in this pack. Is that a, is that appealing? Uh, it can be with the right commander, but this is a format you really have to go into thinking what kind of commander am I going to pick up and what can I do in the format? And, um, I'm not first picking a counter spell unless we find a commander that suits it. That being said, we do get to take two cards out of every pack. So we may be able to do just that. You heard it here, folks. Zach does not let counterspell. We're going to get that's that in writing. That's not what I said. No, Zach explicitly not. said that he would rather take a renowned weaponsmith than the next, pack, the next pickup. Uh, one of the blue, it's a 1-3. Taps to add mana to cast equipment or artifact or something. I don't know. Artifacts or instant sorceries? I don't know. No, it's artifacts or uh, abilities, equip abilities of artifacts. So, uh, And then you can tap it to tutor out either Heart Piercer Bow or Vial of Dragonfire, both of which are commons in this set as well. Be kind of funny if they weren't. Heart Piercer Bow. This is the this is like a funny little package. I forget what core set this was in, but it was a while back, like M nineteen or M twenty or something. It was a good little package, but uh, I don't know if it's necessarily commander applicable. Next up, we've got a Thriving Bluff uh, that says uh, it enters the battlefield tapped. It's a land. It's a common. Uh, and uh, when it enters, you pick a color of mana other than red for it to tap, and then it taps for red or one of the chosen color. So it's a tapped true duel. No other types. Um, it's nice. It's good fixing. Yeah, well, and it's it's a true duel that you get to pick. Like you get red, you have to get red on this one in particular. But there's a cycle of them, and then you get to pick which your which the other half is. I think that's great, especially in a set like this where you may not know what your second or third color ends up being, depending mm -hmm. on when you end up picking up that commander. And in actually in this set in particular, which we didn't get in Commander Legends, uh, you can partner any monocolored cards. So yeah. That really lets you change what your color looks like throughout the draft. And so these thriving sort of lands have been pretty useful in the format. Not something I'm looking to first pick, but I do take lands pretty highly if I know I'm in uh, a two, three, even four color deck. Next up, Deadly Recluse. Love this guy. One of the green, one, two. It's a spider. It is reach and death touch. That's it. Green's Doom Blade. Pretty much. Crows and Tuskers up next. Five green, green for a six, five. It's a boar beast. It is cycling for two and a green. So you cycle it, you discard it, and then you draw a card. But then when you cycle it, you can tutor out a basic, uh, just any basic, and it goes to your hand, then shuffle your library. So this can be a seven mana six five, you know, and it, it can put itself in the graveyard pretty easily for reanimation strategies. Uh, but it also has this alternate mode of 
uh, Divination, where it's just two and a green. You draw a card and a basic of your choice. So another strong, not ramp card, but um, it's fixing, it's graveyard, it does everything you want. Uh, you rarely cut this from a green deck. I'm, am I missing something? Why does this not just have basic land cycling? So you, you get to draw the other card too. Ah, okay. I was missing that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. it's green's divination. Uh, so we've got a green doom blade, a green divination, and uh, a counter spell that's worse than both of these, apparently. I, I didn't even know that, but you told me. So we, not- we, we've got a haunted cloak. Uh, it's three mana. It's an equipment. It says equipped creature has vigilance, trample, and haste, and it's equip one. This is missing something like hexproof or indestructible or ward. Just vigilance, trample, haste is is cool, but you know that's a it's pretty expensive. Equip one is nice though. Um, I don't know. It's whatever. I'm probably not ever playing this unless you're playing. I like saw a it true used to quite deck. good, quite good uh, use in our pre-launch oh. event. Um, but when you it was it was used in a deck. Actually, I was running one in a Kemba deck, which you know that's where it belongs. You, you do kind of want one in that. Um, but my opponents, one of my opponents, was running it in a Zalortha deck, which I guess when all your stuff is just like seven sevens and bigger, then like giving everything haste for one mana is actually hmm. very effective. Um, yeah, okay, I could buy that. Trample helped out in that situation too. Like every card in his deck had trample. <laughs> it was really nice. Close. Next up, we've got Volshock Battle Gear, another equipment. Three mana. It, uh, it's a common. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus three. Equipped for three. Pretty bad rate. Yeah, this is one I won't play. Yeah. we got Mirror Sire up next. Two mana for a 1-1 one, one Phyrexian Mirror. Still looking at our commons. When it dies, create a 1-1 one, one colorless Phyrexian Mirror artifact creature token. So it's a two mana 1-1 one, one artifact that dies into a 1-1. One, one. Honestly, there's some artifact stuff, and this is good. It's low to the ground. You'd want to be along both artifacts and like tokens of vectors. Um, I'm sure you could build a commander pairing that cared about that, but this is pretty low impact, right? Yeah. Oh, another campfire. That last one was foil. Again, that's the uh, one that taps to gain life, or you can exile it to put your commanders in your hand. Not Just not really worth the card. Unstable Obelisk is our actual next card. Three mana, it taps to add a colorless, or you can pay seven, tap, and sack it to destroy target permanent. Eh, same problem here. I think it's just a little below rate. It is ramp. It is removal. So if you're short on both, yeah, you can play this. Um, but there's better of both. Now that's all our commons. Wow. What are you looking at? I don't even know. This is a format that I don't. I almost don't care about the commons in pack one because you're taking two <laughs> yeah. cards out of the pack. You're almost always taking a rare or uh, an uncommon here. So I don't know. If I had to take something here, it probably would be the land, the thriving bluff. Mm-hmm. and maybe the counterspell just to shut you up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, probably it would be something like Deadly Recluse or Crows and Tusker, to be honest. I agree. Now, our first uncommon here is a, is a banger. It's Lightning Greaves. Uh, commander, you know, ubiquitous all-star, two mana, uh, equip zero. Equipped creature has haste and shroud. Equip zero, giving shroud, that's just where you want to be. Yeah, uh, is this a card you run in the limited format for Commander Masters? I guess you still just you still just want them. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't sure if it was necessarily worth a card slot when you're playing sixty cards and may not ever find it. You know those kinds of things, especially when you're mm. drafting, you only get to play the one game. So, I think so. Given that there is a solid amount of targeted removal. Uh, that being said, there are plenty of board wipes too, and Shroud does not protect against those. So I don't know. There's no way to sideboard it in or out. You're right. Um, I, I would always include it in, a, in an equipment deck or a deck that you know cared about giving something haste, uh, or if you had like a really high priority commander. But for example, in the uh, commander game I played last night, my commanders weren't super crucial for what my game plan was. Um, maybe if you don't care about your individual creatures too much, you can cut this, or you just don't want it. Yeah, I mean, there's also just like a, hey, if you play Commander outside of this, you want it, it literally infinite of these. So That's true, um, yeah. It's not a bad thing to just scoop up. Uh, I do tend to run them in pretty much every Commander deck. I don't really build decks that don't need the Commander in some capacity. So um, it does happen in this format, though. If you're playing Limited here, sometimes you just play the Commander for the colors and maybe never even cast it. So something to keep an eye on. I'd maybe be taking this over one of those green creatures at this point with, with the land and just kind of see what happens. But I'm not so sure that Lightning Greaves is a great great card in this format. It's still good, but... Mm-hmm. Up next, we've got Meteor Golem. 7 mana, 3-3. Three, three. When it ETBs, destroy a non-land permanent. It's good. <laughs> really good. Yeah, especially in a format like this where enchantments are all over the place, artifacts are all over the place. Sometimes you just don't have 
the cards to deal with those and stapling that kind of removal onto a three, three stick is pretty good. Yep. Sometimes you have uh, like discard and reanimation effects or regrowth effects or flicker effects. Meteor Golem works well with all of them. Next up here, we've got Furious Rise. This one's in the cube. Two and a red. It's an enchantment. It says at the beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power four or greater, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card until you exile another card with Furious Rise. Pretty good. I mean, it lets you play stuff so you can play lands off of this. Uh, and that card also sticks around. So sometimes with those exile effects, you exile your bomb and you're like, shoot, I wish I hadn't tapped out this turn and to play that four mana or that four power creature to trigger this. But uh, it lets you do it next turn. So then, or maybe if your four power creature dies, I guess it just doesn't trigger again. So then you get to just hold on to that thing. Next up, uh, this one's a favorite of yours. We got Slimefoot. Oh yeah, forget the rest of the pack. Slimefoot's a windmill slam. We're going hard on Sapperlings and we're never losing a game. <laughs> uh, you know, there are actually a couple other things that care about Sapperlings. Why don't I have a Slimefoot deck yet? Great question. <laughs> get on it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Zach is making a note. <laughs> uh, Slimefoot is one black green. Uh, it's a 2-3. It's a fungus. It's a legend. And whenever a Sapperling you control dies... Uh, I should have had you read this. Each opponent loses a life, you gain a life, and then you can pay for and create a 1-1 one, one sapper, sapperling. Manager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever whatever Slimefoot does. Good card. Um, really wants to be surrounded by other sapperlings. I don't think there are that many other cards that make sapperlings. There's a couple that pay them off, which seem kind of confusing. I don't know. Th this one seemed like a uh, an unfortunate inclusion. It didn't get the support it really needed, did it? No, and it kind of a weird card to reprint because it's not one that was in high demand. If you weren't going to support it in the draft format, I don't know why you bother slotting it into the, the format at all, really. But there are some incidental Sapperling generation cards. The weird thing is, the unfortunate thing is, Slimefoot, this particular iteration of Slimefoot doesn't, doesn't care about fungus cards. Mm. We've seen some Sapperlings say like Sapperling or fungus. And in fact, most of the cards in this format that generate Sapperlings are not themselves Sapperlings. Oh, the fungus or, or fungus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, a little bit weird the way they designed the support for Slimefoot in this, in this set, but, um, yeah, Slimefoot's got a, a near, a dear place in my heart. Um, that said, I probably wouldn't actually take him. I'm not so sure that the deck is viable in this format. Yeah. I'd probably run it if I was in a black green deck. It's just a good mana sink. Sure. Yeah. You run it in the deck, whether it's your commander, I'm not so sure. Um, this is one I may speculate on. It'll depend on the rest of the pack here, but I might take it early and then start to see what green and black cards are coming my way and then decide, can I keep Slimefoot or does it make sense for me to, to keep Slimefoot as my commander or pivot to some other black, black and or green commanders, mm -hmm. um, some combination of them. Uh, but hey, if, if you're the only person who decided to take Slimefoot, you're almost certainly going to get past the cards that generate Sapperlings. There's really like none of them are good enough to just auto include in any deck that can play them by themselves. So you might just get handed the deck if you, if you really want it. Yeah. There's, there's something kind of funny about it. Would you rather have like one green rare and the prismatic Piper naming black in your command zone or like a slime foot? And, and that's just it. it. It depends on the, on the green. It rare. It really right? depends on the black rare. Yeah. So, uh, Next up, we've got Hamza, Guardian of Arashin. Four green, white for a 5-5 five, five elephant warrior, also legend. This spell costs one less for each creature you control with a 1-1 one, one counter on it. Mana reduction on, uh, on commanders is always good. And then it says creature spells you cast cost one less for each creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So it doesn't really give your spells convoke for counters, almost like affinity for creatures with counters on them, right? Kind of? Or imp yeah. improvise? I don't know. Something like that, right? Uh, seems solid if you're going for like a green white go wide counters thing. Yeah, and that is a supported archetype in this format. This is not like Slimefoot where it's kind of weird that there's even you know there are a handful of things that support them, but it's it's a little bit of a stretch. There is support for Hanza, so like there are counters all over the place. You can definitely build a solid green white counters deck, and there's ramp in this format. So a six mana commander is not the end of the world, although you definitely want to be putting it to good use uh, by the time you you cast it. Next up, we've got Victimize, our last uncommon. This one's a banger. Two and a black. It's a sorcery. Choose two target creature cards in your graveyard. Then you sacrifice a creature. If you do, return the chosen cards to the battlefield tapped. Now that tapped is the only drawback here. This is a three mana sack one, get back two. That is really good. And that's to the battlefield. Yeah, they're, they're tapped, yep. but like if they have good ETBs or who cares? <laughs> it's great yeah, value. I mean, 
tapped is is technically a drawback, but it really is not the end of the world. And especially in this format, when you've got all these high power creatures kind of running around with good ETBs and different, uh, you know, outlets themselves in terms of mana, maybe a mana sink or something to do with them other than uh, put them in the red zone. And um, this is a great way to get those. The decks that are going to use Victimize to the best of their ability are the ones that have random one ones sitting around to sacrifice and get back two of your like bomb rares, right? I actually uh, used the Victimize to sack a token to get back a Pathraiser of Ulamog and a Stonehoof Chieftain. That's like 16 mana worth of stuff. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Now we're on to our rares, or should I say mythic and rares. Uh, we've got an Archfiend of Despair here. I don't even know what this card does. This is six black black for a 6-6 six, six flying demon. It's a mythic. It says your opponents can't gain life, and at the beginning of each end step, each opponent loses life equal to the life that player lost this turn. Oh, well, that's nuts. That That's the yeah, best card in the pack by far. <laughs> yeah, easily. Hands down. It's mythic for a reason. Yeah. Plus it's a, well, it is eight mana. You know, you got to, you got to build around that in some way. You can't just stick in an eight mana card in your deck. You do have to ramp up to that or expect that by that point, someone will just have an answer ready for it. I feel like this is the kind of commander where I actually in this pack so far, I mean, we haven't heard about the other rare yet, but in this pack, I'm actually now just thinking Archfiend and Lightning Greaves because by, <laughs> by the time you're casting Archfiend of Despair, you've had time to draw through your deck. You probably do have the Lightning Greaves in hand and you actually want to protect this thing if this is your win condition. Problem is Archfiend's not a legend. Oh, true. Wow, I missed that. I kind of just made the assumption that all our rares are legends. <laughs> it does You're seem like it should right. be, right? I mean, it's a mythic demon, eight mana, six, six flyer. This is like one of the only archetypal giant demons like that that's not. So it's no bells and lock, right? Yeah. Huh. Oh, that's unfortunate. Next. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I still think you're taking this, but yeah. But, uh, that's a little bit upsetting. Let's see if we're taking our next rare too. Uh, I am because it's funny. <laughs> We've got Lorthos the Tidemaker. Five blue, blue, blue for an 8-8 eight, eight octopus. You heard that right. An 8-mana eight 8-8 eight, eight octopus. Hmm. Uh, when it attacks, it's a legend, by the way. When it attacks, you may pay 8, which you should have by the time it attacks. Uh, if you do, tap up to 8 target permanents. Those permanents don't untap during their controller's next untap step. And yeah, you can hit lands with that. Yep. What is going on right now? This is this is an episode so far where you've made fun of me for not saying that I don't like counterspell. <laughs> and now you want to first pick a blue rare that is just a big dirtily tap all your stuff down. Who are you? Look, I would do it for the meme, <laughs> but I wouldn't actually take both those. No, uh, I think here I'd probably take Archfiend and Victimize. That's exactly what I'm on as well. Yeah, I would maybe hope to see Slimefoot later. I don't think you have to take a commander pack one, pick one in this format. And like, there's just so many legends. There are tons of packs left. Like you'll find your commanders. Um, worst case, you're playing two Prismatic Pipers or a <laughs> Prismatic Piper or whatever. And yeah. you won't be thrilled about it, but hey, it'll work. Um, but those are by far, I think, the best two cards in the pack. And they work well together. So this is something now you take, you take Archfiend, you take Victimize, you start looking for things that let you like discard for value or mill yourself for value. And then oh, you man. can victimize yeah. back Archfiend on turn four or something stupid. Yeah. You know, you could actually go turn one. I forget if it, it might be Elvish Mystic or Lana or Elf. Turn one Mana Elf. Turn two Mire Triton, which self mills for two. Uh, and then turn three Archfiend. Yep. I mean, a lot of things have to go right for you to do that. But yes, you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not inconceivable. Um, I've seen wilder starts. I could also, I could see someone defending like uh, Archfiend Slimefoot out of this pack. I think that's actually pretty fair too. Yeah, I just don't think Slimefoot gives you enough. Like I, I Slimefoot's good and it's fine. I just don't think it gives you enough to actually mm -hmm. warrant taking over Victimize while it does work and it gives you the colors you need and stuff. Um, I think Victimize is just a better card with Archfiend than Slimefoot is. Fair enough. I just happen to like the green cards in this format. I could also see if you are maybe really feeling the meme, you could go for Lorthos Counterspell. Uh, the cool thing about this set is that you get to just kind of do what you want to do because the packs are just so deep. More on that yeah. when we get to our main topic. I will also say, uh, I, I, Archfiend is definitely the best card in the pack, but I could see an argument as well for Slimefoot Victimize because Slimefoot kind of plays well into victimize you can generate the one ones that you don't mind sacking when they do get sacked they do the drain thing so there is some synergy there as well that that i think is pretty good but archfiend is really tough to pass 
Uh, I should mention that Archfiend is worth 15 bucks. Yeah, you're not passing it. So. <laughs> there are a lot of random like 10 plus dollar cards in this format. Like I walked away yeah. from my first draft with like $80 in cards. Oh, and that's I, awesome. Like I didn't know any of them were valuable. <laughs> yeah. All right. On to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style of segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, how's it going? It's pretty good. I am back from vacation. Uh, our last episode was recorded beforehand. Uh, this is now I'm, I'm firmly back, uh, you know, just enjoying summer. Uh, just got a few weeks left before school, so I'm trying not to think about it. Got to play a bunch of this Commander Masters set, which is kind of the inspiration for this episode and uh, just kind of hanging out. Tibble, I had a, uh, a bit of a nightmare travel experience that that happened. That was fun. Uh, hence last week's ridiculous uh live draft which i didn't do too well in uh didn't actually get the trophy with that deck as expected but anywho uh, i I think i'm maybe like a little under the weather from traveling still just kind of felt off Uh, i think that 40 hour awake stint we left me with a cold or something i don't know it's whatever uh still trying to make the most of summer what's up with you um, so my tibble, I'll start there is that apparently I'm not eating enough. I've talked about kind of my fitness journey for the last like handful of months. And, um, I, w- I've been doing really well with it and eating way more than I thought I needed, but actually just maintaining weight really. And, um, then I tried to do a cut for a couple of weeks and now I'm trying to get back to eating like more, keep basically maintenance and somehow the cut like totally threw me off and now I can't remember what I was eating before when to make it so that I could get enough calories by the end of the day. So I'm trying to get back on track with that. It's been um, a little bit frustrating. My Teferi, which probably isn't helping the situation actually, is that I've I've started taking these nightly walks by the river in Mm. uh, in my town and they're really great. It's uh, a good time for me to kind of unwind, get away from screens. Like usually we'll listen to a podcast while I'm doing it, but sometimes I just walk around and without any headphones in or anything. Um, and it just, yeah, it lets me kind of decompress before going to bed. I do these like eight thirty, nine o'clock at night and they take me about 40 minutes. So I just go all the way down the water and back. Nice. And, uh, they've been lovely, really enjoying them, planning to continue it. Also off the back of our commander masters sort of pre-launch event. Um, I got a pity pack and ended up opening a Yissin the Wanderer Bard. So now I built a Yissin deck because I sold all those cards that I said I opened that were valuable that I didn't know were valuable and funded a very budget version of Yissin. So CEDH players, don't don't come at me. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not that. All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Vampire Lorne. If you want to submit your own question for the listener question of the week, jump into the Discord and check out the listener questions channel. But Vampire Lorne asks, is MTGO Mythic Event Token, which gives you all access to cards for entering events for two weeks, worth $25? I would say, yeah. Uh, especially if you're testing for like an upcoming tournament or something. Unless you also just want to get you know, a little into a format that maybe you can't access via arena, like legacy, vintage or modern. I am not familiar with this mythic event token. Sounds great though. Uh, $25 for two weeks. I mean, if you're, you know, if you have the time to play it enough, if you're playing every day or every couple days, then you're probably getting your money's worth. Um, I would definitely do something like this if I wanted to familiarize myself with something like modern, uh, which we just got the modern pro tour, which was awesome. Uh, Maybe more on that a little bit. But uh, I, I'll probably be playing modern in the next arc CQ season. So I'll probably want to do some online grinding because I can't do that on arena. Uh, but, you know, this event token sounds like it might be up my alley. Yeah. And I think, you know, for those who don't play MTGO as often or maybe ever, the typical sort of pattern is that you're either testing a new deck or you want to play a deck, you'll rent the cards. So you do have the ability to do that through various third-party resources. You can rent the cards for so long and it's usually cheaper than buying the deck, but obviously at some point you have to give the cards back. And so I think if you were going to do that, I think to your point, Ben, if you're going to test a bunch of different decks or try out different decks uh, rather than renting them all and dealing with having to bring the cards back and, and not bring them back, it's all digital, but you know what I mean? Um, the 25 bucks is almost certainly worth it for two weeks. And then also there's a question of is $25 less than the value of your deck? And can you, if you're playing a deck that you play a lot of, so maybe you're playing something like modern or legacy where you really are benefited by getting a ton of reps in with the same deck rather than switching to the best. I think standards of format where typically switching to whatever the best deck is, is usually the best strategy. But, um, in these longer lived sort of eternal formats, um, Typically, you you get 
more benefit out of getting more reps in with the same deck. So if you can make up the 25 bucks in two weeks worth of events with your deck and it's cheaper than that, like, like $25 is less than the cost to rent your deck, then, then it's definitely worth it. Um, sounds like an interesting idea as a limited player. It doesn't really help very much, but I think it sounds worth it on paper, at least in theory, depending on how much you play. All right. On to our main topic. And this week, well, Ben kind of, uh, spoiled it for us, but we're talking about commander masters and kind of, well, this is like a, the third of these commander style sets we've gotten that are designed for limited. They're designed to be drafted, but are really built to inject cards into commander and reprint certain cards that they don't really have space to reprint elsewhere. This is the third of those sets that we've gotten. I think commander legends was a pretty big hit. If I remember correctly, I enjoyed it though. I never actually got to draft it. We did do some sealed with folks in the discord and then there was Baldur's Gate, which I didn't play any of, but I did really enjoy Commander Masters. So, and I know Ben, you've gotten a little bit more sort of time with Baldur's Gate than I did. Um, but all of these sets have been very, very unique. They're very fun. They've got tons of value in them, as I just mentioned. That even Commander Masters, I think, is probably the most valuable of the three in terms of the cards that have been printed or reprinted in them. And so we're kind of just going to use this episode to kind of talk through different tips and tricks for taking down your draft pot as you may or may not go through a handful of Commander Masters drafts. It's probably not one that too many people are going to do multiple of. Maybe you do one or two uh, just because they're they're on the more expensive side, but a lot of fun. So definitely recommend doing at least one. Yeah, uh, I think I'm pretty qualified to give some some tips and tricks for taking down your pod, given that I've done five of these events total between Commander Masters and Baldur's Gate, and I've come in first three times and second twice. Uh, I'm playing a win out here, you know, <laughs> uh, especially to make back my value for Commander Masters because those entry costs are a little pricey. But hey, I've been opening some some stuff to resell and make it back. Anywho, uh, yeah, this is a very fun and unique way to draft. So. Uh, for those that maybe play a lot on Arena, I think this is, if you're maybe feeling like the the same old, same old on there is getting a little stale, uh, if maybe you're, you've had enough Lord of the Rings and you want something new, hit up your local game store, find out when their next Commander Masters draft is and, and go for it because this is a really unique set, something that you honestly can't get online. This is something that maybe if you have, uh, you know, some love for Commander or maybe if you play Commander on the side, uh, if you are someone who enjoys both Commander and drafting, there's nothing better. Like, this is one of my favorite ways to play Magic, period. Like, one of my favorite yeah, sets out there. Uh, it's up there with Vintage Cube for me in, like, the the height of the experience. So, I uh, highly recommend. Uh, I thought it'd be cool if we chat a bit about our experiences with these different ones. So, I, I thought we could start with just Commander Masters and talk about uh, our drafts. Yeah, and actually, I will say, just before we get into that, something that just popped into my head. You know, it would be really cool to see them try this on Arena for Brawl. Mm, and set up. Yeah. I know they, they don't have like multiplayer on Arena yet, but it would be really cool to see them do a master set for Brawl and uh, be able to draft it and then, yeah, build your deck and do all the, the other thing. Anyway, yeah, my deck in Commander Masters, uh, my first draft, I actually went into it not really knowing the set very well. I had seen like a set spoiler. So I did, I didn't technically know what all the cards were, but you know, I, I looked at it once. So I didn't definitely didn't have them memorized or anything of that nature. And so. I kind of went into it thinking, how do I make this draft as simple for me as possible? I wanted to enjoy the deck I built, but also wanted to enjoy the draft process. And sometimes I get bogged down in not really necessarily knowing the set well enough. So I ended up first picking Kemba, which is the one that's, a, I think, a three mana 2-2 two -two that um, generates 2-2 two -two cats for every equipment it has attached to it on your upkeep. And so I took that and maybe a Keleth, which is the horse that um, two mana 1-1 one -one horse that gets puts one, one counters on your commanders every time they attack. Yeah. The partner. Right. And so I was just like, all right, we're just going to go mono white and we're going <laughs> to scoop up random equipment that everybody passes me because nobody wants them. And we'll try to make this work. And it did. I mean, I had to actually manage to put together a, a solid mono white deck. I, I ended up opening a grand abolisher or getting past one. Even, um, I had the pearl medallion in my deck, which was another Sick. just great, great card for a mono white deck. Um, I'm trying to think there was something else in there that I, I really did uh, enjoy as well. Can't remember off the top of my head now, but deck went really well. I mean, those decks, especially in commander aggro decks tend to not do very well because you've got three other players you need to kill. You know, time is kind of aggro's biggest enemy. And so when you're giving everybody time to build out their boards and everything, aggro decks fall behind pretty quickly. And so that's exactly what ended up happening out of the gate. I was the clear aggressor. I was the clear 
quote unquote front runner in my pod. And so I was hitting people pretty hard, really trying to go in for commander damage just to end the game quick. Um, about turn four or five, I, I actually, I mean, I flooded out really badly. So I ended up with like 15 lands on, on the battlefield and that wasn't where I wanted to be in mono white, but, um, not really by about turn five, my, my opponent started to turn the corner. They built, played creatures that were big enough. I couldn't attack through and things started to get, you just basically go downhill from there. My opponents were playing the scion of the ur dragon, mostly just for the colors. It was really a Grixis deck. They did actually get to cast the card though. And Jeez. then I had to, um, Dark Stim mutation it because no. <laughs> um, Casting the Ur Dragon, that's impressive. With double Opal Palace, so it had two counters on it, so it was like a 12-12 or something stupid. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, he never got to attack with it, though. I, I Dark Steeled it first. Nice. And then uh, the other opponent was playing Zalortha, which I mentioned earlier. Zalortha is the red-green. This is the red-green Zalortha, not the um, invasion of... Oh, like the, uh, the Ikoria, right? The green yeah, one. Yeah, Ikoria. Yep. Um, so this is the red green Zalortha that gives everything the opposite of the butts effect. So instead of <laughs> dealing damage, you go to their toughness. They take damage when damage would kill them. Basically, they they use their power instead of their toughness to calculate whether they would die. It's worded right. very strangely, but it, yeah, it basically. So it's a bunch of like, you know, X plus one or X plus two X's. So you have like seven fives and four threes and all that kind of stuff. And they functionally are seven sevens and four fours. Mm. Um, that deck was nuts. And then the other opponent was playing a Carador ghost. Oh, Abzan. Which is the cool. one that, yeah, the one that lets you um, play stuff from your grave. It's got the, the glorious effect, but doesn't care about mana cost. Um, and they had a Galta and some other nonsense in there too. Sweet. Uh, but uh, everybody was playing really fun decks at some point. Um, I got attacked with one of the uh, Annihilator Eldrazi. Nice. And uh, in my last ditch effort to not be a target anymore, I actually annihilated the Darkstim mutation to give oh. my opponent their Urdrak, their Scion back. Interesting. And uh, I still ended up losing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did you make a friend in doing that? I did make a friend in doing that, but it didn't matter because it didn't <laughs> save me. So I've done three Commander Masters drafts. My first one was by far the worst. It was over in 15 minutes. Uh, I had a cool deck. It was black-green counters. Uh, my commanders were Rishkar, uh, Pima Renegade. That's the three mana, two, two. Uh, and then things with one, one counters on them tap for green, which is nice. It's a good ramp thing. Partnered and with, ATVs uh, to put counters on things. Yeah, yeah. So it helps you out. Partnered with Micaeus the Unhallowed. The three black, 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 like six, six or whatever. And then uh, all of your non-human creatures have plus one, plus one and undying. So if they would die, instead they come back with a 1-1 counter on them, if they didn't have a 1-1 counter on them. So a little bit of a nonbo, but a little bit of a combo with Rishkar. Uh, oh, and also whenever a human hits you, you just destroy it because it, the car wasn't good enough to start with. But I think I slammed him on like turn 5 or something, thanks to Rishkar ramping. Uh, but then as we're building out the game, uh, my one opponent is playing Yannette, the, um, the Esper Sphinx where whenever it attacks, they flip the top card of their library, and if it's odd, they free cast it. And uh, one of my opponents was playing like a red-green pile. The other one I honestly don't even remember. Um, the red-green pile opponent uh, casts a board wipe that wipes every everything on the board except for Yannette. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, interesting strategy. Let's see where this goes. Uh, and then they tried to abrade the Yannette to, to get the last couple points of damage on it, and the Yannette player goes, shelter. Like, yeah. And uh, the game ended because then the Annette player just started attacking, free casting their whole deck because it was all odd. Uh, and it, it was honestly very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it felt like the, the game hadn't even really happened. Uh, I did manage to just barely squeak my way into second place in, in that one. Uh, the second one was a lot more fun. I actually had pack one, pick one, Morifon the Boundless. Uh, that's the seven mana like six six or something and uh when it enters the battlefield you choose a creature type creatures that type cost wooberg lest uh, to cast and then they all get plus one plus one it's going straight into elk by the way because uh, uh, of course because it's a changeling <laughs> so it's a stupid elk well yeah. actually because it has Why not? it has horns it has antlers right so yeah whatever that's the real reason but anyway uh i took more pack one pick one and then i proceeded to take the two best cards out of every pack because that's one of the two five-color commanders, that and the Ur-Dragon. So I just said, okay, let's see what happens. I'm just going to take ramp and fixing and bombs. And it kind of worked. Uh, it was fun. I, I wound up with this dragons sub-theme. I didn't really have a good sub-theme to go with the Morophon. I didn't, like, 
get a bunch of homunculus or whatever. But uh, I had a bunch of dragons and a bunch of big Eldrazi whose costs I could reduce. Uh, the game played out pretty well. I had a Marin opponent who had a very strong Marin of Clan Altoth deck, who's one of my favorite commanders. So the moment I saw Marin was sitting across from me, I was scared. And I had, you know, I, I was right to be. The Marin deck popped off. It got to like 10 experience counters. They were looping like Custody Lich, whatever the, uh, the thing is, where whenever it sacks... One opponent discards two cards, another opponent loses five life, and another opponent sacks a creature. So they started looping that on their end step every time, and they were doing that like twice a turn. It got silly. Uh, again, barely squeaked by second place there. Uh, my third one, which I actually just did last night, uh, I wasn't happy with my draft. I, I wound up with this like blue-white pile. Uh, you would actually really like this deck, I think. <laughs> it was blue-white birds wizards and spell casting yeah it sounds like <laughs> sounds sounds like my my cup of tea for sure yeah it had like murmuring mystic and uh battle no screeches <laughs> and stuff like that yeah it was like a blue white token making oh, murmuring mystic battle screech is so nice yeah it, it was pretty cool I, I gotta i gotta say once i played it i liked it a lot more uh, but my commanders were Safara Skyblade, which is like an eight mana seven seven lifelink, uh, and then other flyers have indestructible. Uh, but you can you can cheat her out. You can pay a white and tap four flyers to cast her just from wherever. So just one white, tap four birds, and then she's there. And the birds are now indestructible. So that was cool. I got to do that a couple times. And uh, Nazami, Lady of Scrolls, Azami or Nazami, I forget. But it's yeah, like uh, Azumi. Yeah, five mana zero Azami, two yeah. wizard. And she says, tap a wizard you control to draw a card, including yourself. So, yeah. um, so like basically a bunch of wizards that made birds that had spell. I, I was surprised by how tight the vector was. Um, Windrider wizard, that old uh, Zendikar rising yeah. un, uh, uncommon. The three mana two two where uh, whenever you cast a wizard instant or sorcery, you can tap it to draw and discard. It itself was a wizard. So I had this pretty tight wizards thing. I had a couple looters. Anyway, I didn't like the deck beforehand. Um, it just didn't really feel like it came together. And I'd opened a, uh, a jet medallion, which is kind of cool, the black medallion. And I, I told a pessimistic corn in the Discord uh, who happened to be there. Uh, I was like, I don't like my deck very much. I don't think it's actually able to win a game. I can draw a bunch of cards, make a bunch of tokens, but people are just going to hate me out. And he was like, nah, I think it's maybe it's better than you think. And I was like, nah, if I win the pod, I'm going to eat with my jet medallion. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, I, I got I mean, the deck actually worked too well. So I have Sapphire Medallion. I tap three lands. I frantic search. It only costs two because of Sapphire Medallion. So I untap all three and I float an extra blue and I get to draw and discard, which procs a bunch of stuff. I was ramping in blue white. Welcome so to I blue. Ran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I and I had three copies of Frantic Search, and I just kept churning through them, ramping into each other, procking more things. Uh, I, I think I drew half my library by like turn seven, and at that point, one of my opponents was mana screwed. The other two, they had action. Shout out to Ratafia, Ryan in the Discord, who was there as well, uh, who who had the rather diplomatic idea of saying. Do you guys just want to give this one to Ben and start over and play a new game? <laughs> Which I was more than happy to go with. I had a bunch of kill spells in hand. And honestly, the game we got after that was excellent. Uh, and again, shout out to Ryan, who ended that one in fantastic fashion with a, uh, an exsanguinate for like 10 to drain for 40 and, and win the game after like a nice hour of good interactive back and forth. Uh, it played out really well. And I got my prize packs and got to go off with a nutty blue white deck. So I was happy. Uh, and that's why I ate a magic card at the start of the show. So you've got, of the two of us, you've got the only experience with Baldur's Gate in, in an actual draft setting. Where does Commander Masters come out for you in comparison? It's definitely more expensive. We'll say that. Uh, I think the fun was about the same, to be honest. Uh, a couple of key differences. When you're playing Commander Masters, you feel like every single card you take is like, oh, this is going to go in a commander deck. Like These feel like you're you're playing with a bunch of commander decks that got broken down, broken into packs, and then shuffled together. Whereas Baldur's Gate, there's a bunch of junk in there. There's a bunch of nonsense that it doesn't see play anywhere. Uh, that being said, you can still have a lot of fun with it. So in Baldur's Gate, I played a blue-red wizards, uh, blue-red dragons deck, which was pretty cool. I, I tried to backdoor into a uh, into blue-red-green, but I, I was stuck in red-blue. It still ended up working out fine. Uh, and I actually, that was where I started to figure out a couple of the draft strategies, uh, ways to 
cut and uh, isolate colors that ended up working out pretty well. And I got to test those strategies in these past three Commander Masters drafts. And I got to say they worked out pretty well. All right, so let's jump into that then. Let's let's talk draft takeaways. How can the listener do better in their Commander Masters draft? I mean, if you're going to drop all that kind of money on one draft, may as well make it count, right? Yeah, so I recommend cutting a color. Uh, I found the best way to you know, kind of stake out your your area in the draft was to go deep on one color early. Maybe pick up a strong commander for it in pack one or, or pack one, pick one or pack one, pick two. And maybe you pick up a color pair, right? Maybe you pick up something like a, a Marin of Clan Del Toth, which is just so strong in a vacuum that it is worth just going on rails and drafting black green from that point onward because the power of that commander is worth it. But if you don't do that, for example, in my draft last night, uh, I, I took a zombie lady of scrolls and the frantic search pack one, pick one. And that was it. I was like, okay, I'm just going to cut blue and see how this goes. I discovered this when playing the Baldur's Gate one where I cut red very hard and got really rewarded from it. I uh, just got a bunch of red rares in pack three and that worked out really well. Uh, now, that's not the only option. You know, you can do whatever you want. It's commander. So if you open something else that you just want to go deep on and try, uh, you can. For example, when I open Morophon, right? If you open a five color commander, a three color commander, then chances are you're going to be able to pick up enough stuff just because there's so many cards and you have you see so many packs uh, that you'll be able to support them no matter what. Now, there's plenty of cards in each pack. These are 20 card packs. Uh, a big difference about this is that you take two cards per pick. So uh, because there's 20, that's 10 total picks. So uh, four cards will come back to you. Now, that means all colors are pretty deep, uh, especially with the number of uncommons in each uh, pack, too. So you can wind up with a very powerful deck if you cut and get paid off uh, with, you know, proper drafting. Yeah, and I'll say that that also adds to your ability to kind of go deep in one color and then kind of speculate on a second because you can Mm -hmm. at some point take, okay, I'm going to take my second frantic search in this pack, but I'm also going to take this Safara because, well, maybe I'll pair those two together and I can partner them uh, in the same deck with the Azami I already picked up, right? So that does kind of give you a little bit more flexibility in that way, and it does... Frankly, I will say I think signals in this format are virtually impossible to read. They, Unless your opponents are really heavily cutting a color as well, I found that signals were really difficult to find because the packs are really deep. There are tons of cards in them, and it can be kind of difficult to figure out what your opponents are doing exactly. Um, you may be able to figure out what colors they're on, but what they're actually doing can be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I actually found myself a couple times fanning out the entire pack in front of me and thinking... what looks like it was taken from this like or what looks like nothing has really been taken from this sometimes you might see like one or two good black cards but maybe there's like three or four good green cards Uh, another side note you can speculate with these like these tight ev picks where at one point yesterday i was cutting blue during that pack uh, that i described but then maybe pick three or four i took a blue card and a kodama's reach just because if i wound up in green Having a Kodama's Reach, which is a, a really strong ramp spell, uh, is just that good. Yeah. Also, keep an eye on the money cards because if you're looking to get your value back, that's probably it's probably easier to do it by just picking up cards that are worth money than it is to actually win your pot. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and it depends on the story you play out and how pricing all works out. But um, there is a lot of, and we'll see how the value changes as the as the packs get opened, right? But uh, a lot of these cards have been quite valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, another little, well, I guess a big note: draft a vector. You know, if you're taking a, for example, um, a zombie lady of scrolls or whatever, take a bunch of wizards after that, right? Don't just uh, take a bunch of blue cards that don't align with it. Uh, I would take wizards over maybe comparable to slightly better power cards uh, because I would always have access to that lady of scrolls where I wouldn't always have access to, I don't know, whatever powerful uh, non-wizard cards I could get. I knew that by drafting this vector, uh, plus with this one, this is a great example because it's so strong. All you need to do is cast her and then tap your board to draw a bunch of cards, uh, even with other ones. Um, for example, when I had the Machaeus the Unhallowed, uh, I was taking cards that looked like they had good ETB synergy or uh, maybe self-mill, ways to reanimate, uh, things that cared about dying and coming back. Yeah, I'll say and, that also kind of kills well, not kills but it does alleviate some of the pressure of coming into a format with a ton of cards you may never have read before uh, having to decide on you know it's a little overwhelming you're taking two cards a pack and again a lot of the cards are are new and have a lot of text on them and all these things if you're drafting 
a vector. I feel like drafting a vector, and maybe we can do an episode on this at some point. Drafting a vector is like a good version of drafting on rails. <laughs> Almost, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like it it does help you kind of make those decisions and use less brain power on the decisions you have to make about which cards you're taking um, in each pack because you're really just looking for, okay, what's what's going to go well with the cards I've already picked and what's powerful in the pack, so. Drafting the medium way, if you will. Yeah. Another note about this, uh, the Prismatic Piper. So you don't ever have to draft the, the Prismatic Piper. You can just take two of them at the end. Someone will have opened them and no one wants them. Uh, you get to pick a color for it to be. You can basically set two Prismatic Pipers to be whatever you want. You can partner them however you want to do it, or you can partner a Piper and some other monocolored legend. Uh, one of the best decks I saw in all three of my nights playing Commander Legends had two Prismatic Pipers as its commanders. Uh, this person maybe just didn't really have access to a good blue-red commander, but they had a bunch of good blue-red spells, a bunch of murmuring mystics and similar effects, a Talrand, and then a bunch of red card draw and, and exile effects. Uh, it was it was impressive. And I got to admit, when I first saw two Prismatic Pipers, I kind of wrote them off, and uh, I shouldn't have. So uh, you can just take and play two Prismatic Pipers. I'm confused why they didn't just pair one Piper with the Talrand, but okay. Oh, huh. Sounds like <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Uh, okay, I mean, yeah, cool. There, there are their reasons. Own, right? That's why this set is fun. Yeah, there are reasons to play. I mean, maybe it was a, an information hide. You know, if you're playing a mm. really tight deck and your deck is built heavily around your commander, the second your commander is shown in the command zone, your opponents know what you're up to. So it could have done something that could have been something to do with that. Um, I'm confused about that one but um i will say yeah i mean some players i mentioned that that player i was playing against had the the sign of the ur dragon they weren't playing five colors even they just needed access to grixis because that's what they ended up drafting and in this format where you can partner two monocolored cards together coming up with a two color deck and getting commanders that are viable for it are i would say quite easy not something that you always will have happen, but but quite easy. Getting mm -hmm. three colors or more can be quite difficult because you can't partner yeah. multicolored cards together unless they already have partner on them. And I don't think there are any in this set. So that can be difficult. You may just want to draft a four or five color card that you know has those colors that you're looking for in it. And mm. maybe you never cast that commander and your deck's not really built around what the commander does or is, is about, but you built a tight deck otherwise. So these are all things you can do. It's it's really fun, lots of puzzles to solve, and definitely, again, recommend that you get out to your game store and give one of these drafts a go. Yep, definitely one of the most exciting draft experiences and probably my favorite draft experiences that I, that I get to do. Um, I'm excited to do the next one. Uh, probably not going to do any more Commander Masters, uh, maybe going to do some more Baldur's Gate in the future. But that's, uh, that's it about drafting. Let's chat about the gameplay. So uh, how would you describe the speed of this format? I thought it was pretty slow, right? It's definitely slow. I mean, it's commander. So you're in a four player pod. You draft in eight player pods, right? But then you actually play in four player pods. So just by nature of having four players in the game, it's going to be a slower format. There are some aggressive decks in the format that can kind of get out of the gates quickly. But again, with four players to kind of be there to or three opponents really to be there to kind of pump the brakes on anything that anybody's doing if they get too far ahead uh they don't i would say the aggressive decks don't tend to do very well which keeps the format slow as well um and it's commanders so there's a lot of politicking there's a lot of uh hey if you don't attack me this turn i'll do this for you next turn and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff and so there definitely gets to be some of those aspects which also can affect the speed of the game mm-hmm I recently had a revelation when it came to Commander, and I actually went and revamped a lot of my decks with this in mind. Uh, I, I played my, my oldest and most beloved deck, Bruna, a six-mana angel who all she wants to do is hit the ground, attack, and then attach a bunch of auras to her and maybe win. Uh, but that's a six-mana play, and you can't really ramp in blue-white, although I can put in that Sapphire Medallion. I ate the jet one, obviously. So what I'm thinking is uh, you kind of have to ask people, to be able to resolve the Bruna and be like, all right, please let Bruna resolve. Please don't kill her. I won't hit you with it. And then eventually you, you wind up stuck where you're like, okay, I have my Bruna now, but I made a deal with those two that I can't attack them. And that person has like a flying, like something or like a moat or some nonsense. I don't know. Uh, I got, I got tired of having to ask people. So I decided to revamp all my commander decks with the appropriate tools to no longer have to ask people if my spells were, would resolve. I put in a bunch of like cheap counter spells or pitch counter spells. 
ways to protect my commanders, um, cheaper, more interactive cards uh, that could have you know more gameplay applicability. And uh, now I don't ask if my Bruno is going to resolve because I know it will. Now I, I have my like uh, my, my backup pieces, right? Uh, same with a bunch of my other decks. I, I made changes so that I had the power to back up what I was doing. Uh, I recommend that's what you do for this set because when you do play this, yeah, it's a fun game of Commander. But if it's like our local game store, you're also playing for prize packs. And, you know, I like having fun in Magic, but I also like having fun and winning in Magic. So uh, when I've been building my decks for Commander Masters and Commander Draft in general, uh, I am trying to spike with the most powerful stuff I can get. That means cheap interaction. That means uh, stuff like counter spells, protection spells, shelter, right? That play I described earlier where that player sheltered their unit, won them the game. Uh, so cheap yep. spells like that are, are fantastic in this set. Highly recommend and uh, don't feel like you need to build a deck where you're going to have to ask for permission to do stuff. Um, I, I had an opponent last night who maybe kind of felt that way. Maybe they seemed like they might have been newer to magic, newer to commander. And they, they were sort of trying to figure out like, oh, well, should I attack here? Should I attack here? What do you think? What do you think about this? Uh, I'll say I had a plan every time it came to my turn. I knew who I was attacking. Uh, I, was, I was going for blood, I guess. <laughs> that being said, I still had a lot of fun. Yeah, and sometimes the commander you have can influence how much of that you want to be doing versus how little of it you want to be doing. Again, the politics aspect of the game is ironically something that I hate about commander, but is a very big part of the game and something I should probably get better at. Um, but if you can kind of master the art of politicking inside of the game of commander, you're going to have a, a much more enjoyable time. Um, and then also, yeah, know the levers that your commander is designed to pull because when you can do those effectively, uh, you'll, you'll know to Ben's point, you'll know what you're doing on your turn, which actually speeds up, not only speeds up the, the format as a whole, I would say it's a slow format, but it speeds up your games. I mean, my commander game for the pre-launch event lasted something like three or four hours, which is just wow. way too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, if maybe your deck doesn't have power, on the other hand, uh, then yeah, get a little political. Say, okay, I uh, I think my deck kind of sucks. I'm just going to kind of sit back, play it easy, maybe not deploy my mythic threat on turn three. Maybe I'll just hold it back and, you know, make some friends first and then uh, build my way into it. Um, unless you're trying to be a bloodthirsty spike like me. I don't know. It's <laughs> each their own. Hey, sometimes spiking, the best way to do so is to, yeah, sit back, be innocuous for a little while, and then watch your opponents beat each other up. And then when the dust settles, you're like, oh, hey, big mythic, I win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so even, but that's, that was the plan. Everyone. Yeah. I will yeah. say also, obviously, uh, we play with 60 card decks in this, um, not 100. And so I don't know, that's something to consider, but it's also not 40 like a draft. So you do have a little more room to play. A lot of people were asking, how many lands am I supposed to play here? Because they were limited players who didn't really play commander, never played constructed right. formats. So didn't really know how many lands to put in a 60 card deck. Think about those kinds of things. Um, ramp and fixing are always important. This You can think about this like a cube in that way. Um, really good lands are going to be very effective. If you've got a commander that's letting you run, you know, really any more than two colors. Um, there are pretty solid lands in the format that are utility as well. Opal Palace was one that I mentioned earlier that pretty much every deck would like to have. Um, Soul Ring is in the format, so you can like ramp early in the game as well. Signets, Mana Dorks, there's all sorts of ramp spells like Kodama's Reefs that Ben mentioned earlier as well. And obviously green can ramp, that's kind of green's thing. You'll want ways to do it in other colors, whether it's the Medallions or a Soul Ring or Signets or something like that. Find ways to do it in other colors because if you're not getting ahead on mana, you're getting behind in the game. One other takeaway I would say from this is... Uh it's just a good experience to play commanders that you wouldn't otherwise. I mean, we know as drafters, you should be prepared to draft any colors that are open, right? To get the best deck you can, to do as best as you can in the league or in the in the draft, whatever. Uh, I wanted to do the same thing last night. And as I opened this blue rare that involved wizards and drawing cards, I was like, what is this junk? Give me like a Zakama or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want wizards. I don't want to draw cards. But I was like, okay, you know what? It's opened. I've got it. Let's just see what happens. And I wound up with a deck that was both very strong uh, and very fun to pilot. I, I drew half my deck. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, and that kind of opened me up to, well, maybe I could be a little more receptive to this. Maybe I will make a mono blue wizards card draw deck. That sounds kind of fun, right? Um, 
people people hate me off the table immediately maybe or maybe i just play a bunch of counter spells and they can't so uh, i'll say uh, when you go into these drafts be prepared to draft anything even if it's not just your you know your thing sure you can force your favorite two colors if you want to more power to you right you can just prismatic piper it up but i had a great time drafting something that i didn't expect to and at first didn't want to so uh, let's chat about the value of these sets because if you're going into them you know you want to walk away with something right now Baldur's gate boxes these go for about a hundred bucks at least on amazon or local game stores now there's not a lot of value in these uh, there's maybe 20 cards over five dollars the, the mythic dragons are, are up there too but um know that there's a handful of fun commander cube casual cards in there you can walk away with some stuff uh i, I think the best way to play out of a Baldur's gate box is to just find eight people that are really into it that you want to sit down and draft with uh split it up what is that like 12 ish dollars a person something like that uh split it up call it a day and then it's pretty affordable you get to do a whole commander draft for you know under 20 bucks by the time the dust settles uh and then you could also maybe even do it for sealed if you can't get eight. Uh, Boulder's Gate is a perfectly fun way to do this on your own if your local game store is not hosting this. Now, Commander Masters drafts. Uh, these are more up there. These drafts could range from 40 to $60 depending on how good your store's prize support is. Uh, boxes, I don't even want to know. I'm so afraid. I just looked it up. Uh, if you don't actually want to know, I won't tell you, but... I'm covering my I do ears. have the numbers. <laughs> so collector's boosters, which have... I don't even know how many packs in them are... Two hundred dollars. Hmm. Draft boosters are currently two hundred and seventy dollars a box. Jeez. And set booster boxes are three hundred and forty dollars. Huh. Also, I'll throw out there: each of the commander decks, the pre-con commander decks, are over sixty bucks. Two of them are over a hundred. What? Yeah. The uh, wow. the one that I wanted, the the one that I really wanted, the Eldrazi Unbound deck, of course, one hundred and twenty-five dollars. What? That's yep. nuts. I remember when these Why? pre-cons were forty bucks. Yeah, they uh, because used to they, be. they printed a bunch of colorless cards in that deck that everybody wants to get their hands on for their know. other colorless decks, and they are brand new cards. So that's how yeah, it goes. that sucks. That's what it is. Um, hmm. Slivers well, is the other really expensive one, and I kind of ironically, the cheapest one is the Planeswalker deck. <laughs> it's because all the walkers are probably. Oh, actually, hold on, is that one five colors, right? Or uh, it's Jeskai, so oh. the best colors. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, anywho. I would not recommend going out and buying a box of Commander Masters then, uh, unless you're really feeling it, you know, unless you want to find the people that are in for it and go in. I could see myself maybe doing that someday. Uh, this set is a lot of fun. And like I said, you walk away with a lot, you know, uh, even the draft shaft that, you know, you'd usually leave behind. Not us, of course. We, we take all draft shaft, care for it, love it, uh, nurture it, that type of thing. Even the draft shaft that would get left behind, it's full of like eternal witnesses and, and other yep. solid cards, like victimize other solid cards that you can just put in your regular commander decks, uh, pieces that you need, right? Uh, yeah, that um, is that's something I do really enjoy. I mean, the cost is high. I mean, $40 even at the low end to, to draft is really expensive. I mean, that's we're talking pre-release prices and actually even more than that. Um, the EV in the set, I don't, I haven't looked at like MTG Goldfish yet to see if the the EV for the set is actually worth a box. But um, there are a bunch of cards, even if they're not that valuable. There are a bunch of cards that, like Ben mentioned, you will just want to put in your decks. And so I walked away again. I walked away with a new commander and actually quite a few cards. Um, one of the cards that I happened to just draft in one of the packs that didn't have enough white cards for me to to double pick white cards in in the pack was a Fraylees which I will oh, be nice. playing in my Yissin deck. So, <laughs> that, you know, I like you walk away with a bunch of cards that will fit your deck uh, or any of the commanders. I mean, most commander players have more than one if you've been in it for any real, you know, length of time. So um, you'll walk away with soul rings. You'll walk away with lightning greaves. You'll walk away with all these staples that you will run in every commander deck you'd ever play. Mm -hmm. And so even if you don't make your money back, you do have stuff that you're like, oh, I, I got actual value out of this other than financial value because a lot of times when you get prize packs and you open them and they're just like oh these are all duds okay i guess they're going in the the, the chaff bin at least th with this you're walking with cards you will actually put in decks and play with later the funny thing is i didn't even realize how many of these random rares were like 10 to 20 dollars the medallions for example those are all like 20 dollar cards which <laughs> i didn't know that uh mm -hmm. and even some of the uncommons in there they're just high high value things right uh fine to just pick up them Plus, there's some nice, uh, like, 30-plus dollar mythics, alt arts. Maybe you get a jeweled lotus and you just walk away paying for your draft in the next one. Um, everything's just playable, you know? I, I think it's, uh, 
it's hard to walk away without getting closer than you think to your money's worth. Yeah. And again, I would say maybe don't, if you're, if you're curious about whether something is valuable, look it up. Don't just necessarily rely on the people around you. One player I had asked like, Oh, Hey, I opened this grand abolisher. Was this a valuable card? Is this still a money card? Cause it used to be uh, quite expensive. And they're like, no, nah, I don't think so. It's like less than 10 bucks or whatever. It turned out to be over 20. So, mm. you know, do your due diligence. Um, but there are a significant number of cards in this set that are over 10 bucks. Now, uh, last but not least, maybe most least, no, less most, no, less least, most, most the fun of the, of the draft. <laughs> uh, you got there. Yeah, I think so. Uh, would you say you had fun? Yeah, definitely. Outside of the the gameplay, like my particular game taking four hours and playing a deck that got outclassed quite quickly and then really not having anything to do for the rest of the game, um, in j- watching my opponents play was really fun, more than, like even just that. So um, actually playing the events, very fun. Again, you have such wacky experiences because these commanders are like not as tight as you would normally see them if you're playing real commander. And Mm. so there are just some cool interactions. You're like, Oh, I never would have thought to do that with that commander, but Hey, I was forced into it by this draft and it worked. Um, so lots of really fun, unique experiences that I would say work really well. And then you get that extra little added bonus of being able to partner any monocolored cards that would let you build commander decks. You never could in commander. Yeah. I thought that part was really cool. I, I also had a lot of fun. Uh, I think last night was the one that I had the most fun. Uh, I think the peak of the fun was when the the table agreed that they couldn't beat me with their collective efforts combined. That always that always feels pretty good. <laughs> but uh, honestly, a lot of the fun too was during the draft. I I know I'm playing Safara as my white commander, and I'm trying to scrape the bottom of the barrel for like, all right, does this six mana three three have flying? Yes, it's going to the deck. Like <laughs> trying to just get as many flyers and wizards as I could. It, it was a good time. Uh, Plus, I think the draft really sold it for the fun for me. Getting these two picks per pack is just such a unique experience. And uh, you can't really get it anywhere else besides Commander Draft. Uh, I hope they continue to make these Commander uh, Draft formats just for the drafting portion of it. That's where I have the most fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Another little side note, because there's, you know, 20 cards in a pack and almost nothing wields, uh, sometimes you wind up with, like, more unique piles than you can get otherwise. Uh I guess it's just a break from the usual signal reading of, of typical draft um, where you just kind of throw it all to the wind and you say, all right, whatever comes my way, comes my way. I'll take the best stuff and uh, see what happens from there. And a final note about this, these decks, they do feel like commander decks. Uh, I even mentioned to some of the, the folks that were there last night, I would keep my deck together, my Safari Lady of Scrolls deck Safara, whatever it's well, That actually worked. You kind of just mashed both their names together. I did, yeah. <laughs> That's it now. Uh, Safari Lady of Scrolls. Um, I'm just going to keep that deck together. And uh, because some of us were split into different pods, but we agreed, hey, these were fun decks. Let's just keep them together and jam them the next time we're all in the same place. Uh, so if you got your mono white deck, you should keep that sleeved up too. I think I do still have it sleeved up. Although I sold off a bunch of the cards that are in it. So <laughs> <laughs> some of them aren't sleeved You up. can proxy that Grand Abolisher. It's fine. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you haven't already, do check out the Discord. It's the best place to be to chat with us and the rest of the Traficionado community. Link to that is in the episode description. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge thanks again to everybody who continues to support us each and every week over there. And again, Spurlo, thanks so much. We really appreciate you. And maybe some updates coming to the Patreon. Ben and I have our big like content meeting coming up. So maybe some stuff to keep an eye on over there coming out of that otherwise if you want to find us on social media i can't we can't say we're on twitter anymore because it doesn't exist uh (laughs) let's be honest it does it's still twitter (laughs) um but yeah you can find us over there at draft draft pod thanks folks and we'll catch you next week you know the end what does a jet medallion taste like (laughs) (laughs) kind of like pretzel weirdly enough uh you know the end of logan where um, there's like the the cross upright and then it gets turned sideways into the X. Yeah. That just pops (laughs) into my head for for no reason. Can't say why. Uh, But speaking of of good movies, uh, I did the full Barbenheimer. Ooh, I still haven't seen either of them. So careful with your with your oh, thoughts. Oh man, I am shocked you didn't see Oppenheimer. At least, dude, you're gonna. I love haven't it. had the time yet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, it is something else. It, I all right. We'll, we'll do another one next sign off. Once you've seen a couple of these, but um, both are excellent. Listener, if you're a fan of the that alternate universe uh, movie review podcast, 
I don't know. We listen to that sometime. It's pretty good. I forget what those guys are called. I, I feel like they'd be good at magic, though, whatever it was. Uh, anyway. Uh, it's like Zen and Back or something. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, whatever their names were. Um, but we, we can definitely get into it at some point. But uh, they're both worth seeing. Oppenheimer, I do think, is the better of the two, just strictly. Uh, Barbie is fantastic. Uh, I think it was uh, what some folks have, have criticized it for being like, woke feminist nonsense i actually didn't think it was feminist enough <laughs> but uh <laughs> maybe a hot take it is it is very funny though ryan gosling crushes it and uh the whole cast of oppenheimer is is awesome uh yeah got, i'm very excited to to hear your thoughts on it and honestly you're gonna love the score it is one of the best parts in the movie i'm i'm so ready is that true for both of them or just oppenheimer oh yeah uh, actually it, it is true for both the score is is strong in, in both of them <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, I don't think I have any Saturday plans. Maybe I'll go watch both on Saturday. Dude, I highly recommend. Uh, we saw Oppenheimer first. I I don't know. If that, there was a whole discourse about which was correct to see first. I still don't know. Having seen both, uh, it depends if you want to be left with a feeling of, uh, I don't know, love of humanity or uh, failure of humanity. Hmm. We'll have to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> which do I want? <laughs>